All right. So that looks good. And uh, welcome, everybody. Can you hear me okay out there? Hopefully. Excellent. Well, um, welcome to uh, Dojo Universe. I forget what episode number this is, but we're well into the 20s, uh, which is pretty cool. Um, a couple of oh, 23, Carl says. Uh, a couple of announcements. Um, the first big one is that tonight, Willie McCallum is starting his class on the art of MSR playing. And so he's going to go into all sorts of stuff in regards to putting together um, good competitive light music. And I'm sure there's also going to be plenty of interaction with other students and so on. So uh, if you're a premium member, make sure to tune in tonight. And if you're not a premium member, um, now would be a great time to uh, get a premium membership and to uh, check out Willie's class. And plus, we've had lots of, uh, you know, the, we've had three classes with Rob Matheson in, uh, so far, which uh, have been outstanding. So, um, and you can check those out in the archive. I think that's the main announcement. Maybe we'll hit a couple of things after. Um, but uh, we'll start with some music today. Uh, not this past weekend, but the weekend before. So over the Columbus Day weekend was the Nickel Brown Invitational Contest, um, which is uh, a competition that invites the best amateur bagpipers from around North America, so the top grade one competitors, invites them to participate in a competition, uh, which is in the Albany, New York area, which is near us. Um, I was actually joking that it's funny because the reason Willie had to start two weeks late was because he was um, <laughs> traveling to the United States and, um, you know, literally uh, 10 minutes from the dojo, so... Uh, that's why he couldn't teach on Dojo U until this week. But uh, but Willie was the judge, and this uh, coming up is the winning Peabrock by Alexander Scheel. And uh, the tune he played was called The King's Taxes. So we'll go ahead and play that. I might have to skip a little bit of the tuning, but uh, here we go.
All right. Well, uh, that was quite the tune. Yeah, it was very good. It was. Uh, I, I would. I would go so far as maybe even to call it remarkable. Um, I'm sure. I'm sure there was a. The competitors that day had to go through a had to reach quite a level to beat that. I would imagine, which they didn't. Right. This was the no, winning tune. That was definitely the winning tune, and uh, uh, he also, from what I understand, convincingly won the MSR as well. So, um, I know. I actually I wasn't able to be there um, uh, that day. Unfortunately, I I go every year. I and so I was kind of bummed to miss it. But uh, I know Carl was there. What um, what's the vibe there from? Uh, uh, from the event there, Carl. It was um, quite fun. I got there uh, just in time to hear, hear the first six eight and, and sat through the whole day. Um, you know, left there at about seven thirty in the evening, um, and uh, I listened to every performance that day. It was really a, a neat to listen to, um, and uh, my opinion, both his his uh, MSR and Pebrock were, were really phenomenal. Um, he he definitely had the best uh, uh, pipe of the day. Um, it was any, really well uh, tuned. Any idea what, what uh, setup he was on roughly? Like, was he on a canister bag or? Yeah, I'm pretty sure he was d using the the canister, uh, Ross canister. Not mm. positive, but uh, let's see, I'm trying to he remember. Had some what kind he had of some telltale he had. reed things going on that the Ross canister tends to dry out those reeds pretty easily, and you get a little sort of scratchiness on some of the some of the notes, you know. I, I mean, whatever. If if he was using the canister bag, the, it, he's getting remarkable results because oh, yeah. it could be tough to get the richness, especially in the high hand notes, right? It could be tough to get the richness with the dry setup. And uh, man, that Pebrock IG was something else. It was yeah, like it was really, really, really nice. And uh, and meanwhile, the um, uh, the drone stayed totally locked, which makes me yeah. think, especially because the church uh, in Albany can be somewhat cool, you know. So. Yeah. Uh, it's really tough to keep a bagpipe blocked unless it's those reeds are dry. So I, um, uh, my, you know, my hunch is that he's doing something effectively with moisture control, but he's also managing to get a really good tone there. So, um, so that was good. I mean, Carl, what was your impression of the rest of the event? I mean, unfortunately I wasn't there, but, uh, uh, it was interesting. There was uh, a, a top three um, or four competitors where um, they were clearly uh, above and, and beyond the, the rest. Um, and then uh, there was kind of the middle of the road um, and where everyone else fell. Um, there was, you know, like I said, three or four that really stood out throughout every event. Um, you know, consistently had a really good, well-tuned pipe, um, good sound. Uh, and you know, unfortunately, some of those competitors had mistakes in um, their their PEEB or six eight, um, and that kind of made them a little less competitive. Uh, but even even mistakes aside, you know, in the MSR and PEEB, uh, Alexander really really stood out. So yeah, that's pretty cool. And then and then you were sort of saying you felt like he should have won the six eight. Yeah, the six eight was interesting. Um, I, uh, you know, I was I was sitting in the audience, kind of jotting down my thoughts and notes, and kind of ranking everybody as we went. Um, and uh, in the six eight, I got it completely wrong. Did you, uh, Carl, did you fill out all your check boxes? 
on my checkboxes. Yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, I got it completely backwards. Um, I mean, I, I ranked to sixth place or so, and I think I got two, two of the right people within those top six, and the rest were just out. Um, you know, I had Alexander again first there in the, in the 6'8". He had a, a great tune I thought was well expressed um, and again had a, a bagpipe that was perfectly tuned. It was the best out of any of the 6'8s. Um, and uh, he ended up, I think, fifth in the 6'8". Eight, six, hmm. six, eight. So it was interesting, yeah, it, listening to something different. Is it the same judges, that, you know, the same yeah. table that's judging all events straight through, basically? Yes, it is, and that's got to be brutal, by the way. Oh, my God. It's well, so what's, long. What's interesting about it, I've actually done I've actually done it. Two or three years ago, I was the junior judge on the panel with Murray Henderson and Amy Garson. Uh, and uh, I've done it. It is an <laughs> excruciatingly long day. Uh, but it's, but it's, it's offset, of course, by really, really top-notch playing. So mm -hmm, it's right. not, you know, your butt gets a little sore, but you are enriched with good music. Um, and what's interesting, Carl, about the, what you said about the 6-8 is I remember, I remember going into the room. A part of the problem with the 6-8 is it's the first time the judges get together and confer, um, which, uh, which makes, I think, partially that and partially the fact that 6-8s are not, they're more of a rare event. We really don't play that many 6-8 contests. Mm -hmm especially once we get up to that level or, and then the other thing is, you know, especially when you get a judge from Scotland, they, they judge very few six, eight contests, very few. Hmm. And so I, I found that, um, you know, the, uh, the, the, when the panel got together and tried to pick a winner for the six, eight, when I was on the panel, it was, it took a really long time to get it. Mm -hmm. And, um, and I know Murray had a much different idea about what the result should have been than I did. And I remember Amy was also somewhere in between. So, um, mm -hmm. it was very different. And, uh, it was also a chance for the judges to talk about, you know, philosophically how they're going to approach the contest. And then what I would say at that point is when we did the MSR and the PBROC, um, later, um, it was much, much more uniform in, as far as what the judges thought partially because partially because at least definitely for me i was understanding where murray was coming from one of murray's biggest points was when i was the judge was that um poor technique is going to be one of the biggest things that's going to hold a player back uh, because his opinion was at this level um, if if your technique isn't really really solid um, it's it's going to prohibit you from going as far as you want to go later. And so he was very, very hard on the technique. And so if there were musical things, you know, little things here and there musically that weren't perfect, he was willing to forgive that as long as the technique was really excellent. And the same went for quality of instrument for him. And it's not that it didn't matter, but it's that he, he felt strongly that the technique was going to be, you know, the main thing. And so I would suspect... Um, conversations were pretty similar in the six eight result at, yeah. at this year's Nickel Brown. It's just kind of the way the day works, you know. So uh, I thought that was kind of interesting to hear you say that, Carl, because um, you know I had the same sort of experience when I was judging the event, and uh, yeah, it was a it was a great experience, you know, um, uh, for me 
to get to judge with somebody that experienced and, you know, uh, which uh, it would be interesting to hear uh, Paula and Nancy's thoughts as well, because I'm sure it was cool to judge with Willie. But anyway, just kind of a, a few thoughts along those lines. Um, the Nickel Brown's a pretty cool. cool event. They uh, they have a committee that gets together and they pick um, they pick the competitors. And um, I know uh, I was involved in Nickel Brown when I was I actually won the Nickel Brown like right after I turned 14. So I was a little kid, and my mom my, that, that's when my mom got involved. So my mom um, my mom has been heavily involved in uh, you know getting the food and stuff going at the Nickel Brown and stuff like that. So. She's pretty involved, and it's it's the kind of thing where doing well at the Nickel Brown uh, is a big is a big sort of um, what's the word rite of passage uh, for for professional players. I mean, most professional players have appeared at the Nickel Brown a few times, and and so people stick around and try to help out in whatever way they can. We uh, we donated some prizes this year, which was cool. Uh, right. In previous years, we haven't really had the money to do it. Uh, to be able to offer anything good, but this year we we donated a pretty. Were you un team. unloading hemp and beeswax or what? What would what, you, you, you? Well, see, that's what we wanted to avoid in previous <laughs> years. Can you donate something to the prize winners? It's like I'm pretty sure the prize winners already have a yeah, Tupperware exactly. a Tupperware box to keep their maintenance supplies in. So, uh, but this year we 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 donated um, a, a really nice tuner. Do you remember who oh, that went nice. to, Carl? Yes, I have I it, it written down. Um, yeah, it I don't website. remember offhand. Stuff is always good. I like I like stuff. Hardware is nice, but stuff is good. You know. Yeah, I like great. stuff too. And yeah. and this tuner is pretty cool. It's the Pipe Tech tuner, which so it's 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 a modern analog tuner. So it's got the needle, which oh, let, lets okay. you get a really high degree of accuracy. And I want to say, uh, overall championship. All right. Find tuner. There you go. So yeah, uh, Nicholas Furiol. Uh, Furiol. How do you pronounce his name? I, I wonder. Um, but uh, he actually received the tuner. So. Yeah, John was saying that that's his his friend down there. Terio. Yeah. Terio. Cool. And then we also donated a year, a year or no, six months of Dojo U. Six months. Oh, yeah. Very good. I we also that. donated six months of a premium Dojo U to, I want to say... That went to um, uh, Kirk. Uh, Kirk Brunson, yeah. We're fifth place in the Peabrock, so, so we'll see Kirk around Dojo U a little bit, I think, in the upcoming, uh, in the upcoming months. And so, what was that uh, I read on it? Facebook? It was a, was it a, who, who would have posted something about seven out of the 15 prizes that were, went to people from Triumph Street? Was that, was that true? Is that true? I don't know. I yeah, there was I there was a couple Triumph Street players. That's that's certainly possible. Yeah, well, um, so you know, Triumph Street's got a lot of loot. Yeah, they've got a lot of really great players uh, coming up through that program and that band, and so. Um, yeah, where were all the Oren Morgas? That's what I wanted. Yeah, I know. Like Vin, know, where were yeah. you, man? Carl, I'm gonna get that invitation on, <laughs> next year. The problem well, I, you is, know, I, I want to I want to say, like, you know, if if so many guys from Triumph Street are, are actually playing in the contest, is that sort of a skew in the invitations or what? I mean, I think the the rules, the invitation are pretty 
hard and fast. It's like, you know, top rankings. And not, yeah, and they were top ranking. That's it. Yeah. I mean, you know, these are the guys that are going out and hitting hitting the boards out there and right. doing extremely but regionally, well. I mean, that, that's a pretty wide region of, of, of players to be playing in a single band, too, really. Because you know? if, if you're inviting the top players from regions, you know, you're getting a pretty wide, you know, grab from a single band, which is pretty interesting, you know. Couple of players from the West Coast could easily be playing the same band, but you know you got guys from South Canada, whatnot. You know various regions out there that are also playing in the same band, which is pretty interesting. You know. Yeah, I think the way that worked out was there was a couple. Um, there was like one in in uh, the Seattle area, uh, one in BC, and then one a couple provinces over. Right, right. Um, yeah. So I think that's how that ended up working out that I way. I want to say Jamie. Kubashevitz. <laughs> yeah, Kubashevitz. Uh, <laughs> there used to be a time where my name was the oddball on any every single yeah. list you would ever read. You know, now it's not yeah. so not so odd anymore. Uh, but yeah, so Jamie's from Winnipeg. But I wonder if uh, was he also a Triumph Street member? Um, and then there's so. Alex Shield, Joe Stewart. Uh, you know, and so, yeah, there would be several people. And, yeah, I don't think the invitations are skewed at all. I think these are the top prize winners. And, mm -hmm. you know, uh, and those guys are the guys that are looking to Triumph Street uh, as far as the mm -hmm. band that they're playing with, you know. Which, by the way, also points to how good Triumph Street is, right? Uh, as far right. as, you know, they're, they're making it through the final every year. And it's mm -hmm. because they've got the top, you know, the top up-and-coming soloists. So good good for them. Good, good for everybody there. I know, I know. Rob, Rob is here. I think Rob, you're a Triumph Street. Yeah, there you go. He's he beat me to the punch. Uh, Rob says Alex, Joe, and Nick are all Triumph Street members. Awesome. I saw Rob um, at the Worlds. Rob and I used to be members of the RMM organization. So he's a fan of the podcast, although probably not anymore now that I've mispronounced the names of all of his band members. <laughs> but there you go. But we'll see what he says. Sheely. There you Sheely. go. Oh, I pronounce that wrong, too. Jeez. Jeezum. I tried correcting him earlier, too, but he ignored me. That's the type of guy I am. He's ignorant. Soulless. Uh, but uh, here we go. It looks like Vin maybe froze over there. Or did I freeze? Maybe I froze. No, I froze. I paused my camera. <laughs> to, uh... Rob says even he has no idea on Nick's last name. So there you go. <laughs> They just call him so, something. Uh, something they call him in the band. We won't. He probably won't repeat it. I guess. I don't know. <laughs> so yeah. So that was the Nickel Brown. I mean, um, I don't know. Was anyone else that's here today? Was anyone else at the event? Uh, I don't think. Uh, I don't think too many others were. But um, so that was pretty cool. What um, What else is up this weekend? What do you got going on over at Pipe Packer? Oh, things have been slow. I finally got up a new installment of Pipers. Got that going. It's been a little while. Um, but uh, I got a couple things cooking, which should appear in the next couple of weeks. It's been a busy couple of weeks for me. So I haven't yeah. been able to get too much up there. But uh, getting ready, getting your and more material ready, right? Y exactly, yeah. Got, got, got work to do, you know? There you go. And uh, let's see. Um, we, uh, Carl, you know, one of the things you were talking about, last week is you've been kind of working to get some of your solo tunes ready for next year. 
Right. And, uh, uh, and so, I don't know, we kind of thought it might be good to kind of talk about that. Like, you know, what, uh, what are the best practices in terms of picking the right stuff for next year? It'd be interesting to hear you guys maybe talk about that a little bit. Um, I mean, you guys, for example, you guys are in the same grade as these guys that are at the nickel Brown. Like, mm-hmm. um, you know, it may or may not be your goal to go to the nickel Brown, but these are the type of guys you're going to have to beat. So what's the, what's the game plan? How do you pick repertoire that allows you to, you know, achieve that, that goal? Yeah. I don't know. Carl, did you, did you get, did you catch some of the tunes that they're playing in their MSRs at the, at, at the contest? Yeah. I mean, I, I wrote it all down. I mean, it was in the program. Um, yeah. But, uh, I mean, for me, that's always been a, a good indicator from, you know, when you're looking for tunes, you know, that I always, you know, I'm, I'm a list hound. So I, I look at, I read the, the results and I like reading the names of the tunes, you know, next right. to the prize winners just to see, you know, what they're playing and what they're winning with, you know, um, and, and, and not just the amateurs, but the professionals as well. Like you read the big contests, you always read the names of the tunes that they're playing. And it's always a good sort of benchmark, I think, to, to sort of gauge. You know, yeah, I mean, what, it definitely allows choose. you to gauge what sort of tune you should be looking for. And that would go for any level. I and mean, I think that's important. You know, what what are your competitors playing? What are they doing well with? Um, and why are they doing well with that? Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's important. And, and uh, so when you're considering picking tunes, you know, whatever, what else is everyone doing? Um, and, and you don't have to pick the same tunes, I don't think. Um, you know, I'm oh, no. certainly not going to be picking tunes from that list just because yeah. it's on that list. But, um, you know, things that are comparable in many ways, you know, mm-hmm. not so much like counting the number of embellishments, but technically they're on the same sort of right. level. Uh, musically, you can get enough out of the tune. Um, there's enough to work with there. Yeah. I think once so. upon a time, people thought, you know, you're playing the big tunes, you know, meant meant a lot more. Like, so you got, you know, six part of marches and, yeah. and reels going on. It, it seemed to be, you know, mean a, a bit more. But, you know, that that came and went or, because you start looking at the tunes, you know, from the bigger contests. And, you know, it's yeah. clear these, you know, the top players are playing, you know, four parted marches. Donald's been talking about space, this a lot not, recently. Yeah. And it's, it's not about like, you know, volume or, or even, you know, I don't know, wowing anybody with, with the, you know, the, 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 the tunes that you're playing. It's just, a, it's about, you know, creating good music. So you, you pick the tunes that highlight your strengths, you know, best, um, yeah. whatever that might Donald, be, you know. Donald's been really on about this kick that, you know, at the top levels, people are not playing those big tunes anymore. You know, pick four-parted mm-hmm. tunes, play them well on a good bagpipe. Um, that, that's really what he's been focusing on. And I've been working with him to pick, uh, uh, you know my tunes for for next year, and you know. Yeah, I think I think uh, I, had, I remember Rodney McLeod Mc, saying something. You know, playing. You know, somebody had asked him that question. You know, like playing and he says, "There's just more. There's more opportunity for things to go wrong right. <laughs> playing tunes like that." You know, um, and you know, and these guys are out there playing double sets sometimes too in these contests. They you know they mm-hmm. play double marches or spay and reel, um, and you know, you don't want to be out there any longer than you need to. <laughs> you just want to be playing some music. Yeah, uh, I think the we we sort of touched on this, but I think another important thing when picking tunes is to pick uh, tunes that not only highlight your strengths but also challenge um, y- your weaknesses. Um, you know that that it's not necessarily going to be uh, something that's going to be a deal breaker. You know, if you have extreme trouble with a certain uh, embellishment, that may not be the best thing to put into a competition set, but um, 
you know, Donald w was chatting with me about this, that um, I should be working on, on, on a few tunes that are going to help me to keep my fingers nice and loose and open. Um, mm. And those weren't necessarily the tunes that I used last year. Um, you know, they were kind of different in, in, in structure that, um, you know, will allow me to kind of focus on yeah. that and, and really open up my technique a bit. Yeah. Um, so that's, that's one of the point. things that's that I was yeah. considering when when picking mm -hmm. tunes for, for yeah, this I played a, I chose I picked out Little Cascade to play this past season mainly because I need to work on you know keeping my top hand good you know blowing wise I did it on purpose so I could mm -hmm. actually work on getting you know a good sound going you know I don't want that wimpy high G you know <laughs> yeah and then uh, you mean this high G yeah. Oh, awesome. <laughs> uh, one of the other things. Well, that, that's like the quintessential Janowski high G. It's like a, it's like a dish you order at. Yeah, but you know, if, if if they happen fast enough, you don't even notice it. If they go by too quick, you know. It's, yeah, it just way, chokes just sort of out. Get, just get yeah, just get through them real quick. You know, <laughs> I keep moving. Uh, and let's see. One of the other. <laughs> I like it's, exactly. No, it's, it's your sound, man. Don't don't abandon your sound. Uh, one of the one of the last things that uh, I, I've been considering, especially when picking the Pebrocks for this next year, is being able to memorize them. I'm not going for anything that's uh, terribly crazy. Um, sticking with something that's simple because that's one of my my weaknesses is, is memory and making sure I get all the right notes in. Um, so that was one of the last things that I've been considering when picking tunes is, am I going to be able to memorize this, you know, without any trouble um, and, you know, really have it on lockdown yeah. when I need to play. And, and, you, and you sort of feel that as you go through tunes, too, you might, you might be sort of, you know, you know, leafing through music and you realize, you know, some things just sort of stick with you better than others, you know, and I, I think those are good indicators of your own strengths. Right. Even if you haven't identified them, you realize, you know, I, you know, I really, you know, like playing this type of tune or I'd like playing this tunes with more of this kind of phrasing or something like that. Um, you know, so it's good to sort of capitalize on that and really sort of work, work for it and really leverage it as much as you can. I think. What about you, Andrew? What, uh, what do you do when you pick solo tunes? Well, uh, it's funny. I've been, uh, um, I don't know. I've, I've been using a lot of the same music for a long time. Um, which is not necessarily the best habit, but um, I, I play a lot of tunes. Uh, Carl, as you know, like, you know, if you've heard me practice, and uh, especially this time of year, um, I'm going, uh, I'll play through a lot of stuff. Uh, you know, I've been, I've been playing, for example, uh, I've been playing 2-4 marches for a long time, and I probably have 30 2-4 marches that are all in my head, and I'm able to play them, and so... Um, I'll, I'll often explore that it's you know um i'll often explore these tunes when i'm playing i'll, I'll often just kind of give them a go and um it's interesting actually teaching some of the repertoire classes at dojo u um has brought a lot of them back a little bit like oh i should put that in the cycle again and so mm -hmm. so what i do a lot of especially this time of year i do a lot of playing through um you know some of the tunes i haven't thought about in a while and and what I'll do is I'll find, especially as my technique changes and evolves, I'll find tunes. A perfect example was um, 18 months ago or so, 
I realized, hey, I've, I've totally transformed my D throw. I bet you I can play the Cameronian rant really well now. And sure enough, Latoon is just sounding really great with my technique. And so that, you know, so what became just sort of a recreational tune that I would that I would play, sort of I, I put it into the repertoire, um, tightened up the memorization of it, and now so so I have like this I have a really big cycle of tunes that I that I cycle in and out, mm-hmm. um, and um, so the same yeah, will be I, true. Same will be true this year. I, I'd like to, you know, for example, I've been playing Abercrombie Highlanders for probably the past six years, um, but it's it's not so much because I haven't learned any other tunes. It's more because at the end of the day, uh, as you know, when a competition is four weeks out, that tune is still going the best, and it's still got the most music in it out of a lot of the other stuff that I that I try to play. So, so that ends up making its way in. Um, same with same with uh, Bonnie Ann and David Ross and John McDonald of Glencoe. It's like for me, it's really tough for me to top those tunes with with other stuff and. That being said, I'm getting kind of bored with a lot of it, so I might kind of force the issue this year, and just give those guys a rest. Um, and the same, so that's sort of been my, uh, with the exception of the P-Rock, that's been my approach to the light music. You know, it's, that's I, a good you know, point too. I mean, it's like you know, you really, you know, I think one an approach too you can you could have when you're picking out tunes is you know what what tunes could you pick out to beef up your own repertoire. You know, you can't go wrong just sticking with classics if you don't know them. You know, you should you know work them in and see what you can do with them because it's just good to have them, <laughs> you know, nice. um, at your disposal. Um, and I so, do a I lot mean, of that's, that. Yeah, yeah. I, I do that a lot myself. I mean, I, there's, you know, there's plenty of tunes that, that, you know, that you know, like, you know, just from listening, you hear the first three notes, you know what tune it is, but you've never played it, you know, and why not, you know, so just like, get it out and work it in, you know. Totally. And, and I do a lot of that. Like, I do a lot of, uh, you know, I'll take a classic tune and I'll work on it for a while, and then I'll decide whether or not I'm going to keep it. Um, and and you're right. It's like, well, I've never formally played that tune. For example, like I'm really I'm thinking about Captain Carswell. I taught it this week at Dojo U, and and it's like, man, you know, that's a tune that I know. I've taught I've taught to people. Yeah, and Carl's looking at it too. It's like, you know, it's for me. I'm the next, you know, the, my next practice session. I'm going to be going through that, and I'm going to be saying does this have potential to, you know, become a good tune for me or, um, and then the other thing I'm going to do a slight lane change, but same topic is Rob Matheson has been on Dojo U. He's been talking about stuff. One of his big things is even if you're not going to compete or perform with a tune does not mean that, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, you should practice tunes that you're weaker at. That's his main point. And Mm so, um, I'll often do that. Um, and sometimes you'll find that, you know, especially for me, sometimes I'll find, okay, well, this tune really isn't ready for prime time yet, but I'm going to put it in anyway, you know, because you, you enjoy playing it that much. And, and you know it's a risk. You know you might not win with it, but um, uh, but you enjoy playing it, and it's it kind of, uh, it kind of tests your abilities. Mm-hmm. Uh, the other yeah. thing to think about is, for me, adrenaline is a really big factor. And even though you think you might have a tune going really well, the only way to know for sure is to put that tune under the pressure cooker. Um, because sometimes, even though you think this tune is just the greatest thing, you get yourself under pressure and you realize you're totally nervous and you're, you're making mistakes all over the place and your technique's not nearly as good as it was. So, so um, you know, you have to pressure cook potential tunes too. So 
um, I'm a big believer in some contests being um, not as important as others. So some contests are a good, you know, I, I am. So for example, generally speaking, if I have a big contest going up, I want to go to a small contest first um, and put stuff under the pressure cooker a little bit uh, before I, you know what I mean? Like you wouldn't want to, you wouldn't want to just practice all year and then go play at the silver medal. As a matter of fact, they don't let you do that anymore. You, you have to play the circuit and, <laughs> and you got to have a good resume. Uh, but you can't just drop yourself into a big contest. Uh, yeah, and then Carl, you're saying, Carl had a great MSR at Ithaca, man. You, oh, you, yeah. sounded, you were sounding great, and then you had the most colossal mistake I've ever heard in my life. <laughs> I played three, uh, three parts of Kintara uh, to Ilarish. Uh, played them pretty well too, and then got to the fourth part and went. Here's what here's what his fourth part sounded like. Here's what his fourth part sounded like. Um, <laughs> and then and then he went and then he did this. And then he just went into the he went into the straps. He was just like, playing played the real. What can you do? Um, uh, it was pretty, pretty terrible. Yeah. <laughs> I remember we were all sitting over under the tree. And it was pretty hot. We were sitting there and like, man, who is that? We look over. It's Carl. We're like, he's doing awesome. And then we get to the, we get to the fourth part and we're like, is, is that really happening? It was epic, dude. Like, I, I am. Um, I respect you for how badly yeah. you screwed it up. I really do. You gotta get through that stuff too. Yeah. Sometimes you know you can't just you can't give up. Keep going. That's well, that, see, I would have stopped. Philosophy. Like, if I made a mistake yeah, that I, bad, I would have <laughs> broken down and pouted about it. But instead, uh, Carl see, just powered through I hate it. That. He, he I hate got see, those I figured, I figured it was good to get like score sheets on the the Strasbane reel because I knew I was gonna play those well and. You know, at least you know, and I think that's important about competition. Is is I used to get very. Um, bent out of shape, and if I had done that a few years ago, I'd have stopped, stormed off, and not talked to anyone for, you know, hours. And you know, I came off the field after that and was kind of like, you know, that was really dumb and stupid of me. But yeah, yeah. hey, I, I, you know, I played an okay, you know, Strasbane Rio, all things considered, even though I completely fried my nerves there, uh, in the fourth part, and um, that's an important skill to to, to develop, I think, uh, yeah. and especially to be able to not, you know, take everything so. personally and and lose it after some deal over but go have fun and play the rest of it at least that's my thought yeah um yeah and you just broke up a little bit for me is everybody still hearing him yeah. okay or yeah it was a little have... broken up for me as well uh, that's, that's okay, a that's a really good point yeah, i mean it's, it's a good idea. point for uh you got to learn how to um you know sort of take it in stride, right? The competition performance has got to be just another part of your overall sort of performance regimen, whether that's practice or, you know, playing in front of your mom or <laughs> playing in front of the judge, you know, you just yeah. sort of like work it in and it becomes a just a thing that you're doing, you know, you just... Um, I think, um, you know, the other thing that comes to mind when you mention that, it's like, if it, there are there are occasions where if you make a mistake, you should break down. Uh, for example... Um, the marches and the, the light music at Oban and Inverness. I remember playing there and like, you'll actually, um, you can actually 
offend isn't the right word, but you can actually upset the judges um, if you make a mistake and continue on, and and rightfully mm -hmm. so, right? Like some events, some events are specifically for determining who the winner is, and some events aren't really about specific detailed crit sheets. Um, mm -hmm. You know, every now and so every now and then, another example is uh, if it's pouring rain. Right, and then you're in the ground of your P-Brock and you go way off the tune. Um, it might be best to just call it in at that point because yeah. um, you're asking the judge to sit through the rain. You're no longer really a contender for a prize. Mm -hmm. so, so you are like, but that being said, at Ithaca, Carl, you did the right thing because there were four right. people in the field. There was tons of time. You know, it was a laid back thing. And, um, you know, and so in that case, it was fine. And generally, I would encourage people to continue to um, to continue to play even if they do make an error, you know. Um, just yeah, sometimes you have to be sensitive to it, but you know. I forgot who who was the judge, but uh, last um, last year at Loon, um, a year ago, uh, first event up I was playing was a, a hornpipe jig, and uh, I, I broke down into the jig. I couldn't remember it; just stopped, uh, and the judge pulled me up and said why did you stop it's not your um it's not your call uh your responsibility as a competitor is to uh to play and it's my responsibility to judge and what you did by stopping was making a judgment call uh you judged that you were no longer fit to continue uh and that's my job so don't well, ever stop that's a bit harsh. that was his opinion I think, yeah that's a bit harsh i i prefer to look at it it's you know your time from the judge is yours you know to do you know, it, that's your time. And it's, you know, the judge is essentially being paid to sit there and listen to you one way or the other. Um, you know, so, and, you know, and here in the USPBA, we get, you know, we get crit sheets and, and a lot of times it's, it's about getting those comments back and that kind of feedback. So uh, continuing on is, is really sometimes, you know, just as beneficial if, as if you, uh, you know, finish strong and, like, and maybe, for me, you know, so. For me, it's kind of like chess where, um, you can make an error in chess and you know you're probably going to lose the game but you can keep playing because there are things that you can learn from mm -hmm. from trying to get yourself out of those situations yep. but then Absolutely. there becomes a point there, there becomes a point where there's no hope and you, you, you're sort no, of like anything. yeah and, and, and the points you know it's just a mm -hmm. waste of time to continue yeah. and I think that's why some people flip the king you know it's like yeah. alright uh, this game is way too far beyond yeah. Uh, like the, like you said, the only time I think I've ever done that and broken down and stopped is because I completely screwed up the ground of a P-Brock. You know, it's like a first line, blotto, and it's like mother jumper. <laughs> you know, so you know why continue at that point? Well, we just, we just time out, auto language. Uh, you know, so it's like, you know that's the only time because because now you've got you know eight minutes left to play. I mean, you could. I guess conceivably keep going, but if, you, if it, unless it, depending on how bad it was, which for me it was pretty bad. So at that point, it's like okay, decision. But you know that's a skill too. Sometimes you know when you you know to get to go off a tune, you know where no matter where you are, and then get back on. You know some people can't do that. So, and you can you know some people just can't sort of re reorient their brains. I mean the adrenaline kicks in, they get a jolt, and, and they just can't get back on track. You know, and and sometimes that has to happen. You have to break down, but. Um, yeah. but I think that's a skill you can learn. Um, I think you know to get back too. on track, you know. Another one is like, all right, 
you know you haven't practiced very much and and they pick a tune and you screw it up early on it's like you might break down because you know you haven't really put your heart and soul into it and mm-hmm. and you know so it might not be in your best interest to continue meanwhile you know like let's say you've been working on this tune for 20 years and just some sort of freak accident occurs and you make a mistake well you know then you know so you have more ownership of it and so it's a delicate thing it really is uh, i don't know how we got on this topic yeah. Uh, we choosing uh, tunes. What happens? <laughs> uh, John Holcomb says, "Should uh, do, do people or should anyone play band tunes as part of their solo MSRs?" I don't know. Are you answering? Well, I, I, I think it I tend to stay away from that. Uh, it depends on how good you are at separating band and solo idioms, or if you're playing different idioms. Um, for those tunes, and if playing separate idioms would screw up one or the other, um, that would be my kind of yeah. answer to that. Is right. possibly, um, you know, I've used six eights from the band all the time in competition, um, and you know, I approach them the same way whether I'm doing the solo or the the band. At least I have been. Um, yeah, yeah I, think, I think I would. On the flip side of that, though, I would say you know it, it depends on how you know how much control you have over your own playing and your own music to be able to sort of um, introduce things in one and not the other, you know, and vice versa, you know. Um, so that that's that can be a worthy goal for yourself too, to be able to have that kind of control and that kind of flexibility, to be able to sort of play with the tunes enough to have that control to where it's seamless, you know, I'm with one you. way or the other. I agree with you, Ben. Like for me, I feel very confident playing Maggie Cameron in the band, and then uh, and then adapting it to a solo style easily for my solos. So that's something I feel comfortable with. And and it's not just because I'm a professional player. I think that there are there are grade three players who have that ability and that that sort of knack to be able to to sort of switch styles or, or to think about a tune in two different ways. Mm-hmm. Some people don't have that. So so I think it's a proceed with caution thing there. Like. Yeah, there, there may be, uh, there, there definitely may be a, a potential to make a band tune into a good solo tune. You just have to be sensitive to, you know, uh, your ability to change back and forth between mm-hmm. styles. And, and very often, band settings will be watered down a little bit. There'll be less movements and stuff in them, uh, where the solo will require, the solo version will require uh, lots of other stuff. So, um, so that's an excellent question. I think it's really good. Um, that's uh, that's those are sort of my thoughts on it. Yeah, that said, I I tend to stay away from it only because I like you know experimenting and things like that, and then it kind of distracts me from you know one track or the other, you know. Um, so, you know, so I tend to play tunes that I'm not playing in the band for solos, only because I like playing around with them and I don't have to worry about rejiggering them for uh, for band when yeah. I need to. To worry about upsetting Andrew at band practice. <laughs> and then there's that. Me upset? <laughs> no. Let's not be ridiculous. Um, so, so there you go. Um, I, I think that's a good little, a good topic, and certainly something people should be thinking about now. Um, I think uh, I just thought of a couple more announcements too, which I wanted to bring up. Announcement number one: next week on this show at noon, uh, Rob Matheson's going to be on. And uh, we're going to be able to kind of interview him and kind of hang out with him. So um, spread the word. 
and bring bring questions for Rob. It'll be a good chance to get to know him a little bit and pick his brain about really anything at all. Um, so so that's cool. That's one um, cool bit of news. Um, so, and again, things with Rob have been going really well with his classes, which are on Tuesday nights at six. So we just had a class last night where a lot of us got to play for him. And uh, so that was pretty cool. Uh, and then the next announcement is, uh, it looks like Andrew's typing something. Yeah, Andrew got, got a chance to work directly with Rob. Um, so that was, uh, that was cool. And uh, John Stewart was on there as well. Um, the next big thing, Carl, is uh, we're going to Kansas City. Yes, we are. Uh, and, and not as performers. We're, we're going there to uh, broadcast or live cast, whatever you want to call it, um, the events in the Grand Ballroom on Friday and uh, the concert on Saturday. Yeah, pretty cool. Uh, they, uh, they're going to go directly from the soundboard into our Dojo U software, so um, the sound quality nice. should be really cool. And um, we're actually, um, we're actually, members won't have access to that. Uh, everyone is going to have to actually purchase tickets for that. But it'll all be through the, it'll all be through Dojo U, the Dojo U website. But uh, we're going to sell tickets and all the proceeds are going to go straight back to, um, to the Kansas City event so they right. can continue to grow the event. So that's how that's going to work. Um, so stay tuned for that. Uh, the, the website uh, is almost up and running. It should be finished. Like uh, The whole registration process will be finished this week. Uh, and, of course, seats are a little bit limited, so make sure that you spread the word and people who want to get signed up um, do so early on. Uh, but that's going to be for the, really for, cool. For the Dojo U uh, broadcast, it's going to be limited seating, limited tickets? Yeah. Yes, it is, because really? we can okay. only handle so many attendees in our software. Mm -hmm. So... Uh, mm -hmm. So things are limited. It's not unlimited. So we, uh, uh, you know, uh, I'm not really, I'm, we're like not really going to reveal how many seats we this, have. This, this is the, this is the future, you know. I mean, this is, and it sort of dovetails nicely with, uh, with you know, the, the, the live stream of the Glenfiddich coming up in right. another week yeah. or so. That's going to be like, cool. You know, you, I mean, if if there if, if we don't see a time in our in the near future where every major contest of any kind isn't broadcast in some way like that, then then. We have no hope as a race of people on this planet. I think. <laughs> yeah. Or as bagpipers to get better. Bagpipers. Yeah, at least as bagpipers, maybe. Well, um, one of the things that we're doing in Oren Moore is uh, a lot of people might be aware we have our indoor competitions that we host uh, uh, two times a year. And this year, um, barring any problems, like we, uh, we need to make sure we can secure the venue and stuff like that, but we're actually adding a third indoor competition um, to our sequence and uh, those um, of you who were here last week our conversations with Donald there might actually be a fourth professional contest that we add in we'll have to see exactly how that works but uh, we're, we're putting together a little bit of a league uh, which you know it's going to be a little mini league that Oren Moore is going to host and um, they're going to be really big prizes for the winners of the league um, so you know there's going to be added incentive to come to all three and to sort of develop a little bit of a, a competitive atmosphere across the three events. Uh, but the other thing that I want to do is um, I want to make sure the grade one and professional events are all taped and uh, immediately put up to YouTube. So it wouldn't be a direct live stream per se, um, but you'd be able to watch right. all the performances later yeah. and 
and kind of build a little bit of a play armchair judge if you want yeah yeah because that's the problem it's like so and so contest happened over there in virginia well, I can't yeah. go to Virginia every weekend. Yeah. And maybe you get maybe you get like a, a two minute clip of the, you know the winner playing something, you know, and and that's that's it, you know. Yeah. Because, Meanwhile, but so. it's like I would love to listen to that contest, but uh, you know we can't all travel around the globe, you know. Like Donald, mm-hmm. I, I can't. Donald was talking about the PGA Tour in golf. Well, you know, there's a lot of money behind that. Golf is an extremely popular thing. Uh, bagpiping isn't quite there yet. But you're totally right. Uh, that you definitely struck a nerve with me there, Vin, in, in a good way, which is that yeah, we need to get all of these contests that are even slightly relevant. We need to get them out mm-hmm. there so the community can listen and and uh, you know find players that they like. And uh, I'm totally yeah. with you on that. Or you know, it's 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 almost it's just really about introducing a little bit of formality to the whole thing. Like you know, after after a band contest here in the games, you know, on the east, you know, we go out and we look for YouTube videos. And, and we've been doing that here, you know, where we play, you know, sort of we replay the contest and have a you be the judge kind of thing. And, you know, but we're relying on, you know, you know, somebody's spouse sitting in the crowd, you know, or, you know, videotaping that band. And that's the only band they videotape. So, the you know, we, we're going across the entire contest searching for the that video from each, you know, yeah. relevant and, family member, you know, where there's no formal kind of recording of the contest, you know, where you could actually rely on the same I'm not convinced uh, perspective it has to and the be, same quality. I'm not convinced it would have to be governed, per se. But no, like, no, no, if, no. If you look at, Just um, consistent, maybe. Yeah, like you know? the RSPBA is a great, the, that whoever the fellow is that's called Drone Chorus on YouTube. Oh, yeah. Man, the guy's phenomenal. He's at every he major contest and yeah, he's getting and he, the whole, He's got the whole contest, man. Yeah, and yeah. you can just you can literally you can watch the contest in order of finishing if you want. You can watch it in mm-hmm. order of play. It doesn't matter, right? It's all up on YouTube. Yeah, and, um, and they're good and there quality other, and they're consistent, you know. Yeah, there are other really yeah, and that's what we. It'd be great to have sort of like maybe we could even you know release some guidelines like this is the best way to do it, mm-hmm. you know, and and try to get groups of people to do that. And the cool thing about you know more and more, we've been starting to host these events uh, each year. And what's cool is when we organize the events, it'd be pretty easy to find a volunteer from our band to, uh, you know, to videotape and uh, kind of build that in. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, yeah. and I think that would be great. And I'm hoping that I'm hoping that what we're doing is going to be something kind of cool. Uh, yeah. And then Mike, the Mike is our podcaster there. And then Gus um, Sickard from, I think he's from Glasgow. Um, I know he's, um, uh, really, really good drummer, but he has his own website that um, that broadcasts the World Solo Drumming Championships, and uh, I think he he either charges a fee or is it a is it a suggested donation? I I know there was some it, it went back and forth for a while, but um, I guess yeah. we should talk about that too. I mean, the World Dr- Solo Drumming Championships are this weekend. I know that uh, you know. Uh, some of the guys from over here are going over. Eric McNeil's going over. Derek Cooper and uh, uh, I know Keegan's going over to play for them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's like under ten bucks to watch all the videos. Uh, yeah, yes, cool. and uh, you know, so that's cool. And uh, you know, those are the real top contests. But I think it would be cool to, you know, uh, to be able to see more of it. You know, oh, and, absolutely. And the other thing is, you know, like sometimes I remember Fair Hill last year. Um, we we listened to City of Washington on one on one account, and then we listened to um, I forget what the other band was. Would it have been New York Metro? 
uh, on, on, but it was a different angle and a different yeah. photographer. So and the sound quality, quality was totally yeah. different. So that it didn't really, um, it didn't. It was really kind of hard to tell because mm-hmm. you know different recording devices record things differently. So um, so anyway, it, you know, it'd be nice to have some sort of consistent outlook, wouldn't it? Yeah. It would, and it's like, and there's a lot, of, a lot of curious onlookers who want to who want to see how it's going, you know, especially particularly other bands, right, who didn't make it to that contest, want to see how things went, you know, for, with, for the competition and how, how other bands are doing, you know, it, and, and it's and it only means better things for them, you know, it means you know you, you you know you're gonna set new goals, new benchmarks for your own band maybe to really sort of step it up to, to compete with what you've been hearing or something, you know, um, you know. But I mean that's and that's even just the little ones, you know, and I, and there's and it's so easy to do, you know. You just need somebody to do it, really, you know. And that's and that's always been a frustration for me. It's just like, you know, somebody records one thing and doesn't record anything else, <laughs> you know. You know, just keep the thing running and just stand. You're standing there anyway, you know. Most of these people are actually watching the whole contest, anyway. You know, they're not just watching their, you know, their family band or whatever and walking away. So. Totally. Well, well, that's good, guys. I think we should wrap it up there because it's one o'clock. Um, I don't think we have any music to play on the way out today, so I think we're just gonna kind of call yeah, it in there. Uh, unless you got something good, Vin. You, you want to put up something from um, some Rob Matheson stuff, or? Oh, uh, let's see what I got. What didn't I play? I didn't play. I don't know, let me see if I still have it. <laughs> Maybe we could do um, that. Yeah. It's see. been really great having Rob with us. It's been really cool. I I I, I don't know him that well yet, but. Uh, I did get a chance to meet him over the summer a little bit, and uh, it's so cool. I mean, he's got such a unique point of view. Very, um, you know, very different from what I've heard, you know, throughout my career. So um, it was very cool to hear from him. Might take me a little while, so maybe we should just call it in. All right. Well, that's fine. Yeah, so sorry. No music. <laughs> Not easily accessible. If you're mad, though, blame Vin. I think that's our point. <laughs> um, all right, guys. Well, thanks very much for coming, and we'll see everybody next week. And uh, Rob Matheson will be on with us next week. So. Excellent. Have a good uh, day. Mike just, Mike just put the link to the Gus Webb thing. So there you go. We'll see you guys later. All right.